Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates during events like General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery. We want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us on this journey as we learn what it means to be Free Methodist in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. Hey, howdy. It is October 23rd, 2017. Welcome once again to the FMC Radio Show. We are starting today our exploration, our look into the nine strategies of the Free Methodist Church. We're going to start with Disciple Deeply, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. But uh, if you're unfamiliar with the nine strategies, I'm going to go to I'm going to go ahead and put a link in the show notes to a page where you can read all about in depth about these nine strategies. You can watch videos from the bishops explaining what these nine strategies are about. Uh, it's at fmcusa.org slash uniquely FM. Um, but if for some reason that, you know, you forget that link or it's just easier for you, go ahead and look in the show notes and you can click right directly to that um, over on the website. But there are nine of these strategies and we're going to go through talking uh, here, discussing with different people um, these nine strategies over the course of time, and some of some of these will involve um, discussing ministries and different groups, um, as we've had many times interviews on this show where we interviewed a certain person because they were involved in a ministry or an outreach that was very interesting, um, but this is kind of a different look. It's not always going to take the, the that turn um, where these interviews are going to be about a specific ministry, but it's really, um, I'm trying to pick people that we can interview that will represent these areas well, and then we're just having discussions about it. We're just talking about, for example, today, what it means to disciple deeply um, and, and into the future, these other areas. So I'm excited to get started on this journey with you. And again, this is this is not only just a journey for you listeners to learn a little bit more about the Free Methodist Church and kind of discover uh, what the what's going on, but it's also a discovery for me to get deeper, to dive deeper into these areas as well. So um, we're going to get to that very shortly, but uh, first we have a few breaking news moments for you. Breaking First and foremost, uh, Bishop Roller did come back uh, several weeks ago, a couple, I shouldn't say several, but a few weeks ago from his trip to Puerto Rico. He had a uh, good report on that, and actually the report was only about uh, a little less than two minutes long. I would like to play it here for you so you can hear in his own words what he saw and what he's asking for the continued help in Puerto Rico. Please take a listen to this. Last night I was able to meet with uh, free Methodist pastors here in Puerto Rico. We gathered in a room, of course no lights, but we had a little flashlight. Went around the room, how are you? Check in, tell me the story. Uh, tell me how we can help. To a person, what the pastors requested was, if we could help them, help others. Don't you love that spirit? The church buildings are by and large okay. The, the pastor's houses are by and large okay. Some of our parishioners' houses were totally destroyed, especially those that are made of wood. And uh, we're gonna see if we can't help uh, rebuild those fairly quickly. So if we could help them, 
especially providing food for people in this time of need. There are stores that are open and there are some food items in the stores, but there is a general shortage across the island. The churches will be distributing little cajitas de amor, little boxes of love. Uh, these won't just be random distributions, but as people are needy, they come to our churches. Maybe the next time you're in a store and you're buying food and you just remember, there's some folks who can't do this. If you could make a donation, just send it through the Bishop's Crisis Response Fund. You can see the link. The other thing is if you'd be able to buy a, a Walmart gift card. I mean, that's a, a very packable item, right? If you wanted to buy a few gift cards at Walmart, um, as supplies do become available, we can ship those gift cards to them. So if you buy a gift card, just send it to us in Indianapolis uh, to the World Ministry Center and we'll make sure it gets there. If you're gonna give a gift, if you're gonna give a gift to um, the Bishop's Crisis Response Fund, make sure you put, just type in Puerto Rico in the little comment box. So if you could help us help them so they can help others. Greatly appreciated. Thank you. Once again, I will put a link in the show notes to those uh, those areas that you can help those uh, that, that uh, Bishop's Crisis Relief Fund and some of those other means, those links that, that'll take you to where you need to go in terms of uh, giving and helping in those ways. Well, in other news, we have uh, a free Methodist update from straight from Indianapolis from our World Ministries Center at the Marston Memorial Historical Center. And so you get a, a, an idea if you've listened to previous episodes, um, this M Marston Memorial Historical Center is a part of the World Ministry Center. It's all in the same building. I was able to go down there um, that this last month was it a month ago now a month and a half ago um, but I was able to get down there and see and and the historical center was under construction so I didn't get a good look I saw a lot of uh, of, of work being done and some saws going and things like that and people working I heard some hammers but I wasn't able to peek back and see what was going on well half of it has been completed now um, it's pretty exciting to see some of the pictures they have built a chapel there um, for the historical center, and it replicates a early 20th century Free Methodist Church. So when you go in uh, through these doors, it looks like you're actually in one of these little chapels that you would have seen in the early 20th century. It's pretty amazing to look at the pictures, but to go in and kind of kind of picture, hey, this is kind of what it would have been like. Not only just reading a plaque or you know some museums, they just have, hey, you know, read this uh, story over here about so and so, this old bishop, or you. You know, re look over here. We have uh, this artifact, but you know, and that and that can be interesting. But to see, um, to actually go in and actually feel like you're in history. You know what I mean? I, that, that's one thing that I really appreciate about certain museums um, or certain uh, historical centers, and I really appreciate that they did that here because it really gets you into that time period you know when you go in and you feel like you're there you got you got the pews in there you got the wooden uh you know uh the wooden pews with the hymn books in there and you got everything looking just like it was um so they had a big dedication ceremony for this uh um and they had a, a lot of important people there 
Uh, there was a guy uh, there named Dr. Howard Snyder, who was a grandson of a guy named Jacob Zonizer. I, I hope I'm saying his name right, Zonizer. Um, and they actually dedicated this chapel to Zonizer and his brothers. Um, they, they have had a big legacy, a big uh, impact on the Free Methodist Church, um, that Zonheiser family. There is a whole um, article about these Zonheiser brothers. I will also put a link to that in the show notes, as well as a link so you can see a whole video of the dedication ceremony and see some of the things um, that that you would see if you're able to get down there. And you may want to wait um, until the second half is is completed to go down and see you know the chapel and, and wait until it's all done. I don't know, but if you're in the area and, and you're able to get over there easily, go over and check it out. I'm sure, I mean, I haven't been to this area because it wasn't open until recently, but I can see from the pictures it's certain, certainly worth stopping by. And I'm specifically excited and interested in seeing... Um, what's to come because they are actually working on building a space showcasing the light and life hour um and so if you're not familiar with that what that is that is actually the pretty famous um Free Methodist radio show that was on for many years um and eventually I need to really uh sit down and and do a lot more research on that radio show and do a whole episode about it kind of give the history because it's a it's a pretty interesting thing and and the reach of that show extended from from what I'm able to tell far past free Methodism and it was pretty well-known show it's pretty pretty uh, out there pretty um pretty uh, well-known. I keep saying the word well-known and I can't get any other, <laughs> figure out any other words, but it was it was a pretty famous show um, and they're going to have this little area that you can see kind of a, a little setup, a recording studio, a mock recording studio. Um, so you go in there and see what it would look like and of course that interests me because I uh, am doing recordings all the time here just using an iPad and a, and a plug-in, you know, Blue Yeti microphone from wherever I can get to. But that's interesting and, and what's cool is it's not only just going to serve as like a prop, but they're actually going to use this recording studio for different things throughout time. Maybe they need to record something here and there. They're, it's going to re- it's going to serve as a real recording studio and this historical look as well. So it's kind of cool. Uh, I can't wait to see that part, especially. But I'm um, looking forward to seeing the pictures and hearing the updates on a lot of this uh, coming Free Methodist um, historical stuff that they're doing with these renovations. So. We're going to take a quick short break here, and when we come back, we will be talking about discipling deeply. Welcome back to FMC Radio. We are here today with Bruce Cromwell. He is a pastor of Central Free Methodist in Michigan, and uh, I, I assume that your church is a good church, Bruce, even though it's in Michigan. I don't know about, about Michigan as a whole, though. It's spoken like a true Buckeye, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yep. That's great. Pe- people on the West Coast are probably like, oh, don't don't really, well, maybe they don't quite get it. Big Ten stuff all the time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, yeah, but we're in Lansing, so Michigan State, so it's not quite as bad as Block M. Okay, okay, there you go. Okay. So thanks for coming on um, and talking to us today. And are, what is your what is your official title there? Are you the lead pastor? I am the lead pastor. Okay, that's yeah. what I thought. But I didn't want to say this is the lead pastor and then and then be mistaken. So that's why I decided to ask instead. I know somebody got promoted without really knowing it. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, we wanted to. We're gonna we're gonna be talking over the next probably 
several months, as it as it turns out, um, about these different nine strategies of the Free Methodist Church, and uh, you know, some we may just talk about once, or or we may go back to some of them multiple times. But we want to hit on each of them at least once. And so today, um, I had talked to you a little bit through email and, and those types of things, and discovered that you um, were actually on the team for uh, Disciple Deeply and and kind of getting this all together for General Conference. Um, so that so all of this for you thinking through a lot of these issues has probably probably been a long time. But as far as the strategy goes, um, you you've been bef- been preparing and talking about these things since General Conference. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. About great. Two, it started about a year and a half or two years before GC fifteen, and uh, working with a small group and working with others uh, that were assigned when we started knowing the delegates were going to be for General Conference. They were put in different groups, one of the nine, based on their choices, based on some of their experiences and interests. And so we started working with that group larger. Uh, That larger group made a presentation at General Conference, and our group developed an app, uh, has developed a curriculum. We haven't worked on it probably as intentionally as I think we had intended following General Conference. Life and ministry has a way of distracting you, you know. Yeah. But it's certainly something that we didn't want to be a just one-time event that was neat that entertained people for a few days in Orlando and then was over. It's certainly something we want to still see impacting the church as we go forward. Yeah, so I think, I mean, there's so many different things we could talk about when it comes to discipleship, um, and we're going to get into some of those things here today, but actually I'm I'm preparing uh, this Sunday at the church that I'm the campus pastor of now um, to talk a little bit about discipleship, and we're going to be looking at a, a passage, um, the calling of Matthew, and he was just sitting in his tax collector's booth, and then he gets up and, and goes and follows Jesus, and we see the similar thing for a lot of these disciples. Um, they're going about their normal business, they're, they're usually their normal jobs, and then they get up and they follow after Jesus. And we see, so we see like this time of Jesus, this first century disciple and trying to understand what that means. And then we have the modern day people talk about discipleship. And could you tell us a little bit about when you, when you study the stories of Jesus, when you, when you read that, and then today, what are the, what are the similarities, differences? What is the, what is the change been? Or what do you think um, we're looking at in Jesus's day versus now? Well, in Jesus' day, and, and we've had this here at our church with a lot of the different ethnic diversity that we have in our congregation. We, we have several hundred people who would consider me their pastor uh, that don't speak English necessarily, certainly not as their primary language. We've got many people in our congregations. There are five services here every Sunday, and only two are led primarily in English. So there are many people that are of a certain age, or because I'm of a certain age, that I will never have a meaningful conversation with them about Jesus because I can't speak their language and they can't speak mine. Mm. And so we learned a while back as we went that we had to develop this crazy little life together discipleship model based on the idea of follow me. You know, I I heard someone did that once and it seemed to work well for him. (laughs) So we've just modeled living together. Now, obviously it's different today than it was a couple thousand years ago because we have certain things that we can do easily. I I can give you printed material that you can take with you at home. We can upload stuff in an instant. We have greater ability to travel and to visit. And so here at Central, for example, I just came back from Nepal two weeks ago. 
where we worked on bringing several churches into the Free Methodist Church. We've helped start Free Methodist Churches in Atlanta, Georgia, and Memphis, Tennessee, and Fargo, North Dakota. You know, we've brought them into the Free Methodist Church, connected them with other Free Methodists because of some of the work we did here, that, that intentional connectivity that we couldn't have done on that scale 2,000 years ago. Right. However, all that being said, discipleship's still the same. You, you follow Jesus. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a threefold command to follow. You know, Jesus says, you, the heart of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I mean, this is the heart of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's that following God, when Jesus bids us to follow him, we're, we, we have that relationship with God. How am I growing in the likeness of Christ? How am I drawing near to what God would have me do? But Jesus also says, you know, there's a second command that's just like that first. You love your neighbor as yourself. And what I would understand that to be, honestly, uh, the neighbor, the neighbor is not the person who lives in my house. You know, they're, they're, they're someone who is not exactly like me. A couple years ago, Bishop Roller and I worked together on a free Methodist stance on immigration. What's our policy? And we talked about the idea that the neighbor is the other. It's the person not like you. And so part of Jesus' command there is to love the person outside of your comfort zone. I would say even these are the people out in the world. How do you love the world? That's a part of discipleship too, my relationship with God, but also my relationship with the other. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, right after he washed the disciples' feet, John 13 tells us that he gave us this new command, you know, love one another. As I love you, you have to love one another. And so this is that third area of discipleship I think we still have today, that you need to love those who are like you. You need to love the church. So part of what I think discipleship still is, is helping people incorporate all three of these things into their life and grow in all three into the places that all three overlap. It's not just me and Jesus. I also have a relationship with other sisters and brothers that I've been placed within a community of faith. How are we growing together? How are we learning together? How are we loving each other? How are we helping each other learn to love God? But, you know, your church, my church, any church that we may come together and we love each other a lot, and we can sing great songs, and we have moving worship times, but if we're not reaching our hand to the community, I don't know that any of us would say that's the church God wants us to be. We have to have that third component as well. And so if any one of those is lacking, we're not the disciple Jesus wants us to be. Uh, if any of those is lacking, I think we're not fully devoted as he calls us to be, just as he called Matthew to follow him. But it also meant learning to live with Peter, who I got to believe that was pretty, you know, difficult for a while for both of them. <laughs> right, <laughs> different right. Different ideas on things. You yeah. know, you live with those who you're with in community, which isn't always easy, but also learning you know, to live and to love these people who were not Jewish, to live with and to love the centurions, to learn to live as God loves, those people who aren't like us. How do we do all three? That call that Jesus gave back then is the same call he gives to us today. And so in some ways, nothing is different. It's surrendering, it's loving, and it's learning to follow Jesus. Yeah. So, okay, so it's those three uh, different ways or different... Um relationships that you would mm -hmm. you would define it as and so yeah. like I, I think and you you kind of mentioned this um 
without even without saying it, but you said about how our neighbor uh, it, it would be somebody to find us, somebody who not ne- necessarily next door, but it's somebody who's different than us in, in all sorts of different ways. And that is is how Jesus defined it because someone even yeah. asked him one time, well, who is my neighbor? And then he tells that story of the Good Samaritan where we find Absolutely. out the neighbor is the Samaritan. And so uh, it's very different from the Jewish person or somebody who would want to, um, they would want to associate with. Um, so it's it's that not only within the church, which I think that's what people would probably focus on the most, um, the discipleship oh, yeah. of, of the people inside the church. But when we look at now, we're talking about outside the church, what would that process look like when you're talking about discipleship um, outside the church, outside the faith? What, what kinds of things tangibly are you talking about? Well, I think discipleship starts, first of all, even before conversion. Yeah, I believe God is moving us, working on us. So that's part of what any of us do as Christians. You know, when we hear people compel us and call us to share our faith, we're talking about people who have not yet surrendered to Jesus. But that is, that's part of the discipleship process. They're listening, they're learning, they're, they're coming to see if they actually, you know, can belong, even if they haven't quite learned to behave or certainly believe, you know, mm-hmm. like we do yet. And the ways that can happen are are multiple, I suppose. We have here at the church uh, three 12-step groups that meet every week. And so we have persons that are here every Sunday in one of the two English worship services that first came to us because they started coming to a 12-step meeting. And I was able to, you know, talk to them about what is the higher power that they can tie into. You know, there's a name. We believe that the higher power isn't just some general idea. Mm-hmm. There is a very living, active being who loves you more than you could possibly understand, loves you yeah. just as you are, but it's not going to leave you that way. And so they came to us not because they were looking for God. They weren't. They, they weren't wrestling Arminian in theology and were looking for a Methodist church, and so they showed up one Sunday. That's not where they first came. And they didn't really come because their mom dragged them here, or they were, you know, they were dating someone and thought, well, I'm going to go where she goes because yeah. she's cute. I don't want to lose her. You know, they didn't show up because of a relationship with someone that was already in. They came because somehow the church was serving outside, and they were connected through this service. Hmm. A whole bunch of our churches are going to probably do this in the next month or two. And you have Thanksgiving boxes, Christmas things that we do. You serve the community, and chances are good someone's going to be connected because of that service and be interested in wondering, so what's this church about? Because we reached out to someone outside. We just showed them love, and people came. You know, it's, it's the early church, again, noting and saying very clearly, you know, see how they love each other. You know, they could see the love that was demonstrated. It wasn't the profound preaching. It wasn't because our doctrine was more clear than another. It was the way that we lived, and it was demonstrable. It was something people could see. I think that's what the church is called to do, is not just huddle in our churches, as important as fellowship is, not just send people home with their discipleship books and their devotionals and go into your closet and pray. As important as all that is, it's the how we live the rest of the week. It's how we live when we're away from the church. It's how we model Christ to the world so that they begin to see it and start to taste, and they can see the Lord is good, and they they start to come. I think that's how you start to reach out to the world, and that's one of the components we have to focus on, because too often, you know, we just just build up each other, and I think we're missing that sentness that God has for each of us, that, that apostolic, you know, push to go out into the world. 
and to be reaching people for Jesus. Yeah, I think that that most people, when they think about discipleship, would um, just think of that very first definition of of maybe equate that to small groups. Okay, that what's what's the discipleship? Well, we had the small groups going on, and that's the discipleship. You know, getting people deeper into the word or whatever, and that's important, like you say. But there's there's an idea that it's a separate thing that discipleship and then you have outreach over here um, and that's its separate little area or it's separate you know oh we have the community day that's the outreach you know portion and then over here is the discipleship once people get in i think that's the key that most people talk about is is once once you're a member once you're into the church then you start the process of the discipleship but what you're talking about what we're talking about here is something that is actually uh together that is actually uh, the outreach and the discipleship coming together. Absolutely, absolutely. Too often, I think we, we, we you know, we separate discipleship from evangelism. You know, and and we hear about oh, reaching out, doing those things, sending the food boxes. You know, it's a way to share the gospel, and it absolutely is. Uh, but I believe evangelism is not just the proclamation of the risen Christ. I think it includes both the call to repent and also the invitation to trust and to follow Jesus. You know, and too often we narrow it to just that private, personal ascent to a certain, you know, set of beliefs. It's that personal relationship with Christ. And I believe salvation definitely involves that. Yeah. But it also involves how am I called to covenant with Christ's community? How am I struggling with and going through all those different one another's that we find throughout the scriptures? That's part of what evangelism calls us to, of what discipleship calls us to. They're they're together. It involves that commission to reach out, you know, to commit our lives to Christ's mission. It's not just me believing something. It's changing me so that I can live a certain way. And we too often want to separate them. Well, I'm an evangelist. Well, I'm a disciple maker. Well, I think we're all called to be both. Some people clearly are much more comfortable in sharing their faith with others. You know, that, that can come with practice. And part of that's just personality. Some people are more outgoing. You know, never met a stranger. And there are some people who love working with those who are already established in the faith, they, they just are called to that kind of end of the spectrum. But when we start separating the two and saying discipleship is what you do for the believers, evangelism is what you do for unbelievers, I think we're missing really the broader definition of discipleship as Jesus had it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's and that's very true. So, so again, going back to what we see Jesus doing, um, we can those principles are still the same thing um and so um so so a little bit tell us a little bit more about um inside the church now like like discipleship um as far as again people just think of small groups but but what are we tell me a little bit more about that tell me a little bit more about like beyond just just getting together in a group what does discipleship true discipleship look like in that regards well, I think part of it is this willingness to to be serving and to reaching out. You know, I, I think our spiritual growth is really paralleled to biological growth. My wife and I have two sons, and and we're not planning to have any more children. But if tonight she said, hey, let's have another baby, and we were able to uh, have another baby, but we still can do anything for about nine months. You know, you can't, you can't just make it happen overnight. It takes sure. time. And I yeah. think often before people are even delivered of their sins, we use the same sorts of phrases, you know, before they're born again, often it takes time. You, mm -hmm. you can't always just rush it, hasten it. But once there's this delivery, once this new babe is born, 
my, my children or any child when they're an infant, when they're, when they're a baby, they need food, they need shelter, they need to be cared for. Uh, they need all these things. That's certainly true of a new babes in Christ. They don't know anything, so we have to feed them. They have to be loved. They have to be cared for. They need to be sheltered, kept safe, of course. Teenagers, though, they start to grow up. I think teenagers still need food, love, shelter, all those things, although they've started to learn to feed themselves. They've started to take some of those things on, and that's why I think the two biggest things teens need are responsibility, and they need freedom to fail. You know, they've got to start learning how to drive the car on their own, but just because they backed over the mailbox the first time doesn't mean they're never given another chance. And yeah. it happens in the church as well. You give them responsibility, start giving you some tasks, not necessarily because you're actually a teen, but you're maturing in Christ, and you also understand that sometimes it doesn't work perfectly. And then adults in the biological life, I think our job is really just to reproduce and take care of the kids. I mean, that's kind of what we do, is you keep the cycle going, and you try to develop people so that they then can become adults and keep the cycle going. And that happens in Christian maturity as well. You're reproducing yourself, you're, you're investing in others. How this looks in the church, I think, is discipleship, is really stepping back and asking people, why are you a part of the community of faith you're a part of? Because for many, many people, the answer is, oh, I, I come so I can be fed. I come because I'm loved there. I feel secure. I'm cared for. And those things are absolutely 100% true. But if that's all I'm doing in my church, it's a very infantile view of the faith. You know, the goal is to get people to where they say, you know, I, I love coming to my church. I am fed there. I'm growing. You know, I know I'm loved and cared for. But I get to reproduce myself in other people. You know, I get to serve in this way. You know, starting to take on those more mature views of, of the faith, of what that looks like, of what we do. And so we share, for example, um, the joys of just contributing to life in the church. You know, we talk about our personal value and worth of being in the body of Christ, what this church has done to me, so others can hear that story. We talk to people about the importance of the role of the sacraments, of how of how the church is the body of Christ, of how that looks. You know, all these things where we talk about our relationship with God and how those things grow us and develop us together, not as individuals. We, we talk about ways that we, uh, we forgive each other, that we're cared for by each other, that we can encourage each other. But we also do it while trying to model integrity and engaging you know, people and their needs by ordering and offering our time, our talents, our possessions, all for God's kingdom, these are all things that we do together as the body of Christ, not separated, not alone. For many cultures in the world, you know, our very Western individual approach is just weird. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm. And so it's learning to do all these things together as we grow and see our responsibilities to the broader body of Christ, not just to me and Jesus. Yeah. I think it comes down to, all comes down to word that you used is, is relationship. And so regardless of these different, these, these different areas, that all, that can all summarize it in saying that, um, what, what I'm reminded of is this idea that I, that I was reading in the, uh, Fremo journal that Kevin Austin wrote called Engage Urban. She, he talks about, um, the idea of McDonald's activism that we want to do things as long as we could see the results right then. Um, most of the time we don't want to get engaged um, if it takes a long time. And the process right. of discipleship is something that takes a longer time that's Absolutely. not going to be, like you said before, it's not going to be overnight. Um, and if we're only looking for that quick 
McDonald's type. It's right there, right in front of you. Now you get to see the results. Um, we're going to be disappointed and we're, we may give up easily if we're not prepared to do something longer term. Um, that that relationship idea, it's, it's again, goes back to, I think, the original um, idea of these disciples and Jesus. Jesus was this rabbi, and so he was they were learning to do, these disciples were learning to do what he was doing and following him and watching him. And in the same way, um, you were speaking about um, showing other people and reproducing um, what you have learned and, and, and your relationship with God has produced. You want to reproduce that in other people. Um, my question, next question is this. I, I was reminded of a verse uh, from Paul in Philippians 4.9. And he said, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And I think we often talk about um, people being disciples of Jesus, but I, it's it's kind of weird to think about. I, it seems like Paul is saying in that verse, hey, I, I, Paul has some disciples. They're disciples of Paul, yeah. and Paul is a disciple oh, yeah. of Jesus. So so you, um, it's not too much of a stretch to say that as a Christian, as a mature Christian, you should have some disciples. Is that, am I right about that? Well, certainly. I mean, you have that, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah. Uh, that, that, same, you know, that thing that you're exactly saying. The key is to make sure that people ultimately understand that as I imitate Christ is the thing. You were not supposed to create people who, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas. No, 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 no. Yeah. I can lead you because, you know, we're appointed to you or God has put us together or however this is connected. It's, it's beautiful and amazing, and I trust the Spirit providentially to guide that. But the goal is to become like Christ. Mm-hmm. And you have to have those examples. I know, I think all of us learn best by apprenticing. You learn, you watch, you follow, you model. And absolutely, we pray to Christ. We don't trust in a human for our salvation. We pray to you know, the Lord to hear our prayers and to heal us. We don't need intermediaries to do that for us. However, I can't always figure out what Jesus would do in every situation. WWJD is a fine thing to consider, but sometimes it's tricky. And I don't know exactly what he would do in this situation. I can guess, but I'm not exactly sure. But you know what? I can look at Pastor Josh, and I've seen what he's done, and I think he's trying to live like Jesus. So maybe if I live like Pastor Josh, I'll come closer. Exactly. That's what I think discipleship is, that not being afraid to let your light shine so that people can see the good works you do and give praise to your Father in Heaven. You know, it's just both components. It's not to buttress ourselves or build up our own egos. It's to help people see this is what Christianity is like. And so you have to be that to on a hill that's not willing to you know, be hid. Hide it under a bushel? No. I mean, every kid who's been in church ever knows that little song, and so it's, you know, I'm going to let it shine. But yeah. it's so that people can come to Christ and learn and watch and follow. I think it's how most of us learn to drive. You, you follow. Someone sat in the car with you in the station. It's how most of us learned anything. To ride a bike, you know, mom or dad ran behind us and held the back until we could let go. You, you do it with someone, and that's no different than walking with Christ. I think it's really tricky to be a lone ranger Christian. You can do it. There are hermits, there are stories of saintly women and men who are alone, but I, I think for most of us, if I'm just trusting in that, then I can I can really be deluded in what I think alone. If I don't have the counsel and the accountability of the Church to correct me and to keep me on the straight and narrow and to lead me in the paths I need to walk. 
Yes, yeah, so it's, it's almost like a balance um, because I can think of, and everybody can probably think of those examples um, of one way or another of, of the person who says, well, I'm not going to look at or, or, or get involved with anybody else. They kind of just take their Bible and go off by themselves, and that's not what God had in mind. Um, no. And then there's the, also the opposite extreme where people, you know, hey, I, I follow, you know, John Piper or, you know, I follow so-and-so. Well, okay, that's, that's good. You know, those are great teachers or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, it's like, okay, well, well too much on that one person. <laughs> it needs to be, you know, again, pointing back to to God, so to Jesus and following him. And so there's those two extremes. We don't want to be too lone by ourselves and we don't want to be following uh, too closely to any one person, but we do want to, um, you know, get those ideas and that inspiration and, and live into um, those, those what we could call radiators of Christ. Um, I know this guy named Bobby always puts it this way. He just says, we're leaking Jesus. So there are people who are leaking Jesus and it's kind of like uh, fun to, to be around those people because you kind of just feel like, you know, you spend time with Jesus when you're with them. Um, I think that's absolutely what we're called to be. Yeah. I mean, there is that almost sacramental nature just to this, and we've called it here at our church, we talk a little bit about this ministry of presence. I mean, there's certainly things you need to do for people. There's things that I can serve you. It's just dangerous sometimes because, you know, I think I'm probably like most people. I like to be liked. And so I can create situations where I'm needed all the time. But that becomes sometimes codependent. And so how can I become the sort of person that it's not because of anything I'm going to do for you? or because you create, we've created a situation where you have to come to me, because I'm the only one who can do it for you. How to become the sort of person that just when I'm around you, you feel better, you know you're loved, you know, just, you see people walk into the room and you kind of smile. Uh, I, I, we've talked before about this, this idea that there's almost this kind of vibe that people give off, and there's this electricity that we have, you know, kind of like when you can tell someone's staring at you, even though, how do you know that? I mean, you don't feel anything really, but you just know it, you can sense it. In the same way, there are certain people that walk in the room, they just have something about them, and you don't know why, they haven't said anything, they haven't done anything, but you just sense something about them. And we use terms like have a magnetic personality. How do we have that kind of life? And how do we avoid then the opposite? Those people that sadly we probably all know too just are a drain to be around and you don't know why they just suck the life out of a room they're hard and we even talk about again with electric terms they have a negative energy you know things like that how do we become the sort of people that people want to be around like jesus that people wanted to be with that there's something about us it's compelling it's compassionate it's inviting it's welcoming you know, which sadly are a lot of adjectives that aren't used much to describe Christians in the world today. That's really true. Yeah, it's 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 almost it's sometimes opposite of of what people have described, yeah. <laughs> which is interesting because then none of those things would be used to describe Jesus, and yet you know that's some many of his followers are described in that way. Um, and again, I think that can wrap us back into what we started talking about, about the, the discipleship linked with evangelism. And because what's interesting is that, you know, we don't have to come up with some big plans or some, some big outreach. Now, there may be outreach events, like you're talking about the, the Thanksgiving thing. You know, that's a, that's a big event. But there are a lot of times that, that it seems as if you just be yourself and you lean into 
who Jesus is, and then that's outreach in and of itself because like you're saying, people are um, wanting to be become more like that and they may or may not realize at first, but they're wanting to actually be more like Christ. And yes. so that discipleship is leading to outreach and, and vice Absolutely. versa. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I really do believe that, that most people, um, and I can be wrong, but I think most people end up coming to faith because they have developed some relationship with someone that they know loves them, um, someone that they trust, uh, someone who might be honest with them. So it's not, you know, they're not given license to do whatever they want, but they know that they're loved, genuinely loved, as they are, not necessarily as they should be. And they start to look, and they, they say, again, you know, this Pastor John guy, I, I like him. And so they start paying attention to what are the things that he's talking about. What are the things that he believes? Because there must be something to that. I mean, it gives a credibility to our witness when it's actually practiced and lived in our faith, when people can see we're not just all talk, and we're not always just talking about ourselves, and that we're genuinely interested in other people. I think that's absolutely how the Church advances. It is being involved in people's lives. It's not hiding. It's not building walls or, or circling the wagons. It's being willing to reach out and to to be in the midst of the mess and the muck of the world. It's to be there, realizing that greater is the one in us than the one in the world. We don't have to fear the world. God's with us. And even if the worst would happen, well, then, you know, hey, to die is gain, we're told. I mean, to live is Christ, that's awesome, but what do we have to fear? Uh, the church advances, so we give ourselves away. I think when we worry about dying, when we worry about shutting down, when we worry if we can't, we get that scarcity mentality, and that's when we start to fail at our mission. Our job is to go, and to serve, and to love, and to trust that God's with us no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think we've been we've been talking mostly kind of from the point of view of so somebody who um, is looking to reproduce and, and, and is a disciple themselves. Now let's flip that around and say there's someone who's listening who say, well, you know what, I'm not sure if I'm a very involved disciple or I don't even know how to start the process myself to, towards that end. Um, what would you say to somebody who, who doesn't know quite where to start on this whole journey, this whole process? Well, I do think, again, like I said, you, you have to uh, have, I think, all three components. And all of us, any of us, sat down and, and took a little assessment, we would be stronger in some areas than others. We might have a really deep relationship with God. We know His Word. We've memorized passages of Scripture. You know, we may have advanced degrees in theology. You know, we, we can mm -hmm. talk about doctrine. But, you know, we haven't really found a church we can act to. Well, you know, we're not the disciple we need to be. You need to probably plug into a church. We might have people, and I'd start there, for anybody. Hopefully we all have good communities of faith uh, that we can meet with regularly, that people who will listen to us, um, we can eat together, fellowship together, you know, people who care for us when we're hurting, we can celebrate important life events with, stuff like that. This is part of what community groups do. We all need that. But I think it's also then finding a Bible in a version that's understandable. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be King James, it doesn't have to be NIV. Yeah. You find one that makes sense to you, and certainly we can do that with different English translations in the same way. I don't make the Africans that come to my church, you know, read the Bible that our Haitians read, 
and they don't read the Bible that our Nepalese or our Burmese read. I mean, that makes no sense. You, you have it in the gospel that makes sense to you, yeah. so you can hear the word and understand it. So find something like that, and part of that community is finding friends that you can sit with, talk with, process with, be honest with, who are going to love you warts and all, but are going to help you grow, and it's just live it. And, and even beyond all of that, because for a whole lot of people, there may be some who are like, okay, that sounds good, but I really have no idea where to find a church. The ones I've gone to just scare the bejeebies out of me. <laughs> yeah. Go in and they act like they've never seen a new person, you know? Yeah. I don't think I yeah. can grow there. Well, I'd say pray and keep praying because I do trust that God desires none to perish. God wants us all to be fully developed and mature followers of Christ. I think pray and then be willing to step out in faith as God opens doors. I don't think God just drops it in our lap. You know, I think sometimes waters don't part until our feet get wet, and so you got to be willing to, to step out, but pray, because God hears our prayers. I think God answers those prayers. If we're earnestly wanting to grow in a relationship with God, the more we spend time even praying, I think the deeper we get and the more we start to feel convicted and compelled that I need to gather regularly with a community of believers. I need to serve my neighbors, and my church in some way. You know, I need, as an individual, to serve with a spirit-directed passion, but but I also, as a community, need to take time to study God's Word with other people in the community. All those sorts of things, I think, start to flow as we become more intentional about it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And, and there's, I think when we, you know, have that phrase of, of the strategy itself to say, disciple deeply, I think that that word deeply of course we're talking about discipling people deeply but i think also another way of looking at it we could say that you know this topic and discipleship you know it's it's if we're thinking of it as a well it's very deep and it can continue to get deeper any of these areas relationship with god it was can always continue to get deeper a relationship with others uh, in the church and outside the church it continues to get deeper and and we continue to find out things maybe about the community we're living in and we get deeper into it and, and reaching out even deeper. And so it just, you know, that it's, it really is something. And I think probably all of these strategies are this way, but it really, this really is something that, you know, has so many aspects and so many different, um, uh, really a lifetime of growing and learning about um, yes. how to be a disciple. Yes, it uh, never ends. We keep pushing on. We keep stretching, we keep moving, we keep developing, we keep growing, we keep being humbled. I mean, goodness knows, if we don't humble ourselves, the world has a way of doing that to us, and it's always easy to choose it yourself and have it chosen for you, but it doesn't end. It's a continual process of being shaped and formed in the likeness of Christ. Yeah. That's that's great. And um, if somebody out there who is listening has any um, anything to add to the conversation, any and you're listening and you say, oh, I I, I just have this great story about discipleship, or um, maybe you have some some thoughts or some tips or something like that, go ahead and come on to the uh, the Facebook page and share those things with us. Um, we would love to hear some of those some of those stories and some of those things of how your local churches are discipling deeply as well. Um, one thing I always do, at, well, I try to do at the end of all the different interviews is ask the person if they have anything else that we haven't talked about. And like I say, there's probably a million things but um, about this topic, but is there anything that you want to share with anybody um, that, that you think would be good? Well, I think just, again, that, that encouragement that God has made us the way we are. Uh, we have different gifts. 
we have different abilities, different strengths, and thanks be to God we have that, or it would be a pretty boring place if we were all the same. But, you know, God is not done with any of us either. God's still working on us. Uh, God is still working in us. And so I have great value in who I am because of who God is. You know, I am precious because God is precious and God is in us. And so we can use those gifts and celebrate those gifts and find a great purpose and a passion and a place for those gifts in his kingdom. It's big enough for all of us. You just have to be willing to let God lead because it's about him. It's not about me. And salvation's been freely offered already. Christ has died once for all. And so I think in the end, what ultimately keeps me separated from God isn't really my sin. I, I, it doesn't mean I'm not a sinful person. I don't do things that are selfish and stupid. But my sin's been atoned for. My sin's been dealt with. What tends to keep people separated is their self-righteousness. It's their failure to recognize that God is there and God forgives. And that I'm willing to let him lead. And so however we're wired, whatever we're going through, whoever we are, you know, wherever we live, even in Ohio, we <laughs> can find salvation from Jesus Christ because he loves us and he died for us if we would just surrender and accept it. I think, I think that's the key is it's surrender and let him lead. And, and there's really no better place to be than in his saving, gracious, loving hands. Yeah, that's, I like that. That's really good. Um, I'm excited to see... Um, as we continue on, what what's what comes out of your church? I know we're gonna be speaking in a few weeks to somebody else from your church and talking about some things that you guys are doing in more depth. And um, but I'm excited to hear about that, and I'm excited to hear what comes out of of your church as you guys continue to disciple people um, and continue to share those things with us as well, so we can all learn from that. But I want to thank you for coming on and talking to us about this. Very happy to. Very happy to. I appreciate the invitation, Josh. Awesome. Well, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Yeah. Take care. All right.